Premeris podcast I am your host Nisar Ahmed I am the founder and editor of the blog careermeris.com and this is episode 17 of the Careermeris podcast and this episode is part of the expert series and for today's expert series episode I am interviewing Emily Capet in a moment I will bring Emily on to uh, talk for before that I have a brief bio uh, so everyone understands um, a little bit about Emily Emily Capet is a triple certified master resume writer and industry leading career strategist she's also the founder of refresh your step llc a career advisory firm based in Miami Florida with clients located nationally and internationally she and her team of highly certified writers and career advisors work extensively with clients on all facets of their career progression including resumes cover letters linkedin profiles job search strategies mock interviews career guidance and more emily welcome to the podcast hi good morning it's a, it's a pleasure to uh, to speak with you thanks so much for having me Thank you. Uh thanks for joining. Uh I'm sure I I have a lot of questions to ask you based on your bio. Uh Wonderful. but before we begin, I always like to hear um my guests version of themselves. Maybe you can introduce yourself and also how you got started. Yeah. Uh in this particular uh career as a career coach. Sure, absolutely. Be happy to do so. Um so I you, you know, you got it. You nailed it pretty well with the uh with the intro there, but I am a triple certified master resume writer. Um I have been working in this field for a number of years at this point. I do run Refresh Your Step. I started it back in 2008. Um so we're coming up in, you know, 8 to 10 years. That that's a great mark for us and I'm really excited about that. Uh we work with people on on collaboration regarding their career. So a full spectrum of services, but the whole point of it is to be a holistic approach to your job search strategy so well-rounded um and we provide expertise on resumes and cover letters always con- ensuring that they are strategically written and aligned for one's job search um as well as writing linkedin content and educating people on how to actually utilize linkedin because there's a lot to it that people don't necessarily know about uh we also do a lot of job search strategy job guidance career advisory um as well as mock interview work both for general prep and and specific interviews that are upcoming uh and then we do a lot of um negotiation tactics and and work like that and we work with clients all over the world and from every level every sector i've literally worked from with astronauts all the way to zoologists literally a to z and uh it's it's a lot of fun a, a lot of great clients and great work and our biggest pleasure is when the clients achieve that goal of working their way up into the field that they want to be in really breaking in moving up and achieving those goals so we uh, we work towards that and and it's very very much a collaboration um as far as how i got into it i was originally working in new york uh both in the broadcast journalism field uh that was my my undergrad major uh so i was working in broadcasting as well as on in finance I worked on Wall Street uh and in a PR perspective in that capacity as well as doing recruiting and it was really interesting because when I was there in about the mid 2000s I noticed that a lot of people most everyone actually 
hated what they were doing and simply didn't know how to get out. They didn't know how to make that change. They, they were very, very smart, but they didn't understand like they could leave and how to do so. And there, there were a lot of career advisors at that time for more the executive level. And then if you were you know, just getting out of college, of course, you had career advisors in your career center. But for people in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s especially, there was very little. Um, and I felt that there was a true need there. So I actually left the firm that I was at to go back to grad school to get the academic backbone for what I do with refresher staff and then launch the firm after that. Originally, it was meant to be focused primarily on my peer set, so young professionals at that time. Uh, but very quickly, we, we got to be known for the resume work. And that, that's a bit unique about us. And, and at that time, it was just me, um, not Everyone who does resume writing cares to or really is able to advise on the career side. And everyone who, who does the career advisory understands how to write resumes and, of course, at this point, LinkedIn. Um, but I got to be known very quickly for that, which was really interesting. So um, allowing for organic growth of the company, I repositioned and then expanded our reach because we were having people come to us from, from all levels, not just young professionals. So um, that was a little bit how I got into it. And it, it just so happened that when Wall Street went down, and of course, if you recall, I, I mentioned I was on Wall Street before, when Wall Street went down, specifically Lehman Brothers, which is where I had been, um, that was actually when I launched the firm. So it, it actually coincided with um, some, some employment challenges and, and economic challenges in our country. Uh, and we, we launched then and have grown a lot ever since, and at this point, I now have a, a great team of writers and career advisors that we pair up with our clients. Um, everybody works with me as well as one of my writers, so we provide a team of support, partnership, and resources for that particular client, whatever his or her needs might be, um, and allows for that individual to get what they need faster, more effectively, and to know that we're here as support for them. So I hope that answers a little bit about me and refresher stuff and how I got into it. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for uh, going, uh, giving a detailed overview. I mean, I always like to hear about my guests' journey from where they started to where they are today. So that is great to hear. What really came out uh, of that story is you started this business, your your current practice, in the middle of one of the greatest economic times yeah. you have had recently, and yeah. here you are. You're, you know, you have a successful business, uh, well known in the industry. So there you go. So shout out the bat. So that just, uh, I mean, a lot of people. There are different cities or countries in the world that is going through downturns. Mm -hmm. So they would be, I'm sure, encouraged to listen to your story. So thanks okay. for sharing that. My pleasure. Before we go into the interview, I also want to ask one more thing. Sure. Uh, this is definitely not related to careers or resumes. Okay. You mentioned you're from Miami. Yes. Now, everyone, I'm sure, <laughs> listening to this knows where Miami is, a little bit about Miami. But I wanted to hear from you. Mm -hmm. uh, what is one thing that most people do not know about Miami? What is, is there some type of an interesting fact you can share? <sighs> well... <laughs> There's been a lot of negative press about Miami recently. It was just voted the the worst city to live in, um, which I kept getting a lot of headlines from people about, why do you live here? It's the worst city to live in. And people kept emailing, emailing me saying, I can't believe you live there. And, and why is it so horrible? Interestingly, they actually hadn't read the story um, because it was about the, the economic divide in the city, that there's 
a lot of wealthy and a lot of very, very not wealthy. Um, and so there's a huge divide. And so that's actually what makes it a very difficult city to live in. Um, but on, on the positive side, the diversity here is incredible. Um, you know, I've lived in, I grew up in North Carolina. I lived in New York, Atlanta, uh, and now I live here. And I also lived abroad for a while. And what is so interesting about Miami is that it is unlike the rest of the U.S. You are here and you will hear Spanish or Portuguese or Russian or Hebrew or Italian or French before you hear English. And I find that to be absolutely fascinating and absolutely amazing. And so um, from a from an intellectual perspective, I think it's really interesting because you have the ability to talk to so many people about so many different cultures and ways of life that you simply don't get in a lot of other parts of the country, um, good or bad, because then you get a lot of different opinions and that can be challenging at times. But it is absolutely fascinating to live here and, and to not hear English as a first language I found has been um, pretty amazing. So uh, so I, I always really like that about it. And of course, you get the most amazing food here. So. Yeah, I like that too. So, Emily, now I want to get into your expertise, your experience. Uh, you did mention at the beginning of this interview, uh, what I liked is your explanation of A to Z, astronauts to zoologists. Mm -hmm. So, you and your team have seen different careers. So, yes. I'm sure there are some common challenges that candidates, no matter which business, which industry they come to you for, what would, the, what, would, what would they be? What are the biggest challenges that you see them facing? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest challenges I see, regardless of level, regardless of sector, is the ability to, to step away and see yourself as an individual who has accomplished something in your career. Um, and some of the most Truly accomplished people come to me and say, I can't look at myself that way. I, I, I know I've done things, but I can't. And we have to go through a process of, of actually identifying. That's what's actually really important. That is the connecting piece from the resume and cover letter to LinkedIn, to interviews, to just conversations. What have you done and how well have you done? What, has, what have you done that has distinguished you within your industry? And everybody, even college students, people who work in, you know, every job out there, you've done something. And it's the 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 real challenge for, for me and, of course, my team is to grab that information, learn about the, the client, what their goals are, and be able to, to craft resumes, cover letters, and LinkedIn, as well as educate our clients on how to speak to it. But make sure that people can see that consistency of excellence, that Throughout your career, you've always done great work. And so, again, the real challenge is, is helping clients to actually pick out whatever those accomplishments might be um, and then bridging it to whatever their goals are. That That is an interesting feedback because we're not talking about experience. We're talking about someone's own mindset about themselves, their attitude, and how they perceive themselves before they even enter the situation of job search. Well, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people at this point feel that the job search is simply about, you know, finding a job, uh, clicking apply, finding a job, clicking apply, and just going through everything from behind the computer. And it's really not. It's about, you know, making sure that your resume 
speaks to who you are and what you've done, as well as your LinkedIn profile. And of course, they can't be duplicate of one another, so they have to be different. But then once you're done with having those prepared, being able to to go out and actually have conversations with people to strategically identify where you want to work and what companies and sector company people that you can talk to and having those conversations. So, Emily, what are your uh, the first things uh, candidates come to you? I'm assuming is in, to, in terms of their resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what are the top tips? What are your top tips for crafting an effective resume uh, or a cover letter or both? We always do both together, um, and they should be you know they should be doing that at the same time. Um, they do work together. Um, but as far as and my top tip, I love that question. I really do. Um, first of all, what I say, understand who will be reading the document. Literally start with that because that's going to, in some ways, set part of the tone for how you craft it. The resume, it may have your name at the top, and it should market you, and that's huge. But you're not the one reading. You're actually not the consumer of that document. The consumer of that document is the hiring manager or the recruiter, as well as the scanning software that will be employed however you apply for that job. Um, and you have to keep that in mind because those are the gatekeepers, either real or the technology-driven ones, that, that really dictate what happens next. So um, keep in mind who are going to be reading that. And knowing that, you need to include some different sections and also some, some formatting elements to allow it to both be up to standard, what is expected today, um, as well as make it easier for, for someone or technology to get through that document quickly and so the right information is there. So some of the key sections to include will, uh, at, this, at this point, some version of a profile, that, an, an, a very high-level overview of what you've done and your, your, your key your key proficiencies, I would say, um, doesn't only need to include an objective, but more of a this is who I am to what I bring to the table kind of idea, as well as a core competency section that includes key skills and transferable attributes um, that you also bring to the table. Um, one of those elements I mentioned earlier was the format. Documents these days, they don't necessarily need to be crazy formats, but something that is visually engaging and set up so that the brain can easily pick up on relevant information actually makes a really big difference. Um, so my first tip is keep in mind who's reading it and, and ensure that it's up to today's standards with uh, what is expected. Um, my second tip is write it to your actual needs. So clients will come to me from college students all the way up to executives and they'll say, I have to keep it to a one-page resume. Um, I, I've been hearing that I absolutely have to do that, um, and that it should just be about responsibilities, and, and that's it. Uh, no, it's changed so much in the last few years just because of the economy and the, the way the market works today. It is crucial that you include what I mentioned earlier about some key sections just because that's part of the standard today, but also incredibly crucial that you include whatever is going to be relevant for you and to your goals and help distinguish you. So that if you're a college student and you've had four internships and you did a bunch of great undergrad research work and you were extracurricular and you played on a team and all this amazing stuff, 
you don't want to necessarily cut that out because it helps distinguish you. If you're a an executive and you've done tons and tons and tons of great stuff, we, we have to go about it with a different strategy in terms of well, what, are, what are your actual goals right now with the next steps of your career and be strategic and picky in a certain way. But at the end of the day, we don't want to we don't want to include fluff, but we don't necessarily want to get rid of key information just to get it down to a page. It shouldn't be, for most resumes, shouldn't be over two pages, but don't feel that you have to keep it to a page or add a bunch of fluff info just to distinguish yourself. So there's strategy to it, but my, ba- my, my main takeaway from just that one point is write to your needs and your background, not necessarily what you've been told to do, um, and that's a big difference. Um, and then my, my real key tip, it's all about your achievements to date and showing a consistency of excellence. How whatever you've done in your career and however long your career has been, to show a pattern of achievement, it makes a huge difference in how you display yourself, essentially. Um, and we work with clients on identifying those achievements and those measurables um, and really being able to speak to them. And especially for those who are a bit younger or trying to transfer skills into a different industry or a niche of a specific industry, showing that that consistency of excellence throughout your career makes a huge difference. Because what you're saying is no matter what I've done, I've always done it well and I'll continue doing it for you. Um, and so my biggest takeaway, consistency of excellence. Once you have it established on the resume, you transfer it over to LinkedIn and then over to the rest of your job search in terms of conversations and interviews. Yeah, thanks for um, summarizing, summarizing those steps. Uh, some I've heard those as well, and I've had those questions myself. So thanks for clarifying them. Um, sure. You mentioned link. Sorry. Uh, you, you mentioned LinkedIn. Um, of course, if you go back many years ago before LinkedIn, your resume and cover letter were all that important. Now LinkedIn has changed a lot of things. So the question I have for you, how does one utilize LinkedIn in today's job search? Uh, well, my first point on that is you, you have to utilize it, which doesn't really answer your question, but it does sort of build it up. You have to utilize LinkedIn today. Not utilizing LinkedIn is like wanting to win the Super Bowl and walking onto the field without a football. You need it. Every <laughs> industry, every level, and I have clients come to me all the time saying, well, I don't need it. It's not always about how you need it and how you utilize it. It is, and we like to educate people on that. But bear in mind, people are going to be looking for you there. So the first thing first, remember, get into your head and really own the idea that LinkedIn is a part of this job search in, in today's world that you just can't get past. So once you know that, then it becomes a lot easier to, to leverage it. So my first, uh, my first suggestion is make sure that um, – two things, actually. Make sure that your resume should be your launching off point. Um, because that it's, I think, easier to understand from the outside how a resume is written and utilized. So get the resume situated first, then turn your attention to LinkedIn. 
Um, ensure that your profile is strategically written. It, it can't be a duplicate of your resume. Um, it's expected to be different, but strategically it needs to be because how your LinkedIn is utilized is very, very different than how your resume is utilized. So um, make sure that your your profile is optimized for your actual job search, that you have a more thorough summary that goes into who I am, what I do, what I bring to the table, a few key achievements and some core competencies, should be a little bit longer. Your experience section for each of those roles, you know, it would be set up um, as more of a reverse chronological format. Um, it, it automatically done that way for you. You know, include a brief overview of the of the work that you've done and really get into some of those key achievements. It's a great idea to include projects that you've specifically worked on in individual roles, even for for school, for some of our um, our, our our students who are listening. Um, including projects at all levels is actually a great idea because you can include more details than you can on the resume. And the way that LinkedIn gets it set up for you is that it doesn't take up a lot of space to include projects until people click on it and want to want to read further. Um, another key section is going to be those skills sections that you, people endorse you for certain things. Um, we educate clients quite a bit on the algorithms that drive LinkedIn, but one of the major ones is how you utilize that, that skill section. You can dictate to LinkedIn what you want to be endorsed for, and it's essentially whatever you put in that top 10 of the, of the whole list of 50 skills that you, you choose to be endorsed for. Whatever's in your top 10, specifically your top five, you are telling LinkedIn, I want to be endorsed most for these. Um, so if you are working in marketing, but you want to switch into doing project management and client consulting, then you would want to go in and actually move around the, the skills so that what you get endorsed for is more in line with what you're, you're looking to do um, within that, that uh, project management consulting side. Um, so you, you need to learn how to go in and actually be effective with that particular section. Um, and the other thing that I would suggest is knowing how those recommendations really reflect in there. Um, some clients will come to me and say, I have zero recommendations. I don't even see the importance of them. Who reads them? People read them. You need references anyway. So reach out to people um, that you've worked with either in your current job or previous jobs uh, in school that you worked with, professors um, on the job side, managers, people at your level, stuff like that. Ask for recommendations while also offering to give a recommendation yourself. Ask and you shall receive, right? So it's important that they're there. You want to have a good number. You don't want 20 for every job. You want two or three for, for, uh, for roles that you've been in. That's a good number to shoot for. Um, but keep in mind that, yes, people really do look at that. They will look first and foremost at whatever is in that very top section that has your picture on it. Um, they'll look at that. They'll take a quick, brief glance at your summary. They may look at some of the headline information under your experience but they will go directly to the skills and endorsement section and look at recommendations. Why? Because they want to know, you can say whatever you want about yourself on LinkedIn, but they want to know what others think of you, put it that way. Um, so keep in mind the importance of actually having those recommendations in there. Uh, my last point on LinkedIn is to also understand how you utilize it for the job search. People are going to look at LinkedIn to understand more about you, but there's so much behind LinkedIn um, that is, amazingly helpful for a job search. So 
um, to understand how to look up people on there, how to connect effectively with people on there, message them to get them to respond back to you, and to set up time to learn about who they are and what sector they're in and their company and what they think of all that. There's some real strategies tied in that make it much more likely that they respond to you. Um, so it's important for people to understand that. Um, and again, to keep in mind that it's not just about the profile. You want a great profile, and that's key. But to remember that there's so much more to LinkedIn. And once you have that information in mind and, and you have a strong resume and you know how to utilize LinkedIn, your job search strategy much easier, much easier. Um, so I hope that helps. And, and I gave a lot of information. So whatever follow-up questions you have, please ask them. No, th th thanks for that because I was going to ask uh... – couple of tips to enhance one's LinkedIn profile. So I think you covered the skills and endorsements. You've uh, endorsed, uh, uh, you mentioned recommendations. You've also mentioned optimizing the profile. So yeah, I think uh, pretty much, uh, I think you've uh, thought about my question before and you just answered them. So that's wonderful. Uh, so the next question is going to be, so one has, some, so, so someone has prepared the resume, they've optimized it, they've prepared mm -hmm. the LinkedIn, now, obviously, the next stage in the job search process is the interview itself. So a recruiter or a hiring manager looks at the resume LinkedIn. They are impressed. They reach out to the candidate. So this is where the fun begins. Uh, so when it, the actual interview itself, what are, what are your top interview tips or, yeah, or, or ideas or hacks? What would you say they are? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and as you said, it goes back to getting everything prepared in advance, and the real fun starts with the interview for sure. Um, okay, so my first tip is going in. Remember that it is a two-way street. Get your mindset correct. Um, a lot of people go into the interview with this feeling of, I have to make them like me. I have to make them like me. Well, yes. But you want to make sure that you like them as well and that you're learning honestly about what this company is all about, what the role is, who will be on the team, what the culture is overall. You want to know that information because it's going to dictate whether or not you're happy there. Um, and then, of course, directly go into um, if, you, if you're going to want to be there for, for a long time. So go into that interview with the mindset of, I need to make sure this is the right fit for me. Um, and it changes the perspective a little bit because it allows you to see it as a two-way street. And I think it allows you to listen to your gut that much more. Because if you're sitting in that interview and you're thinking only that I have to make them like me, I need this job, I need this job. And I get that you do need a job. There are bills to be paid and responsibilities. I absolutely understand that. But if you, if you're in that interview and your gut is saying, this is not the right fit. You're going to hate this. You're going to want to leave after a week, um, but you still go for it. Then you're going to be right back in that interviewing seat two weeks later, and it's going to be that much harder. So um, go into the interview with the mindset of you really want to find out about the company. You really want to make sure it's the right fit for you. As much as you want to make sure that they see you as the right fit, it's much easier for you to say no to an opportunity if it's not the right fit than for them to say no to you. Um, from your perspective. So go in with that right mindset. 
um, and really be prepared to ask questions, to learn about the culture, to learn about the company, to ask the people interviewing you what they think, what their opinion is, because you will get some amazing feedback that can make or break that job search for you. Um, so that's my first tip. Second tip I would say is uh, to be prepared for that interview. Um, be prepared to go in with questions, actually. And everybody knows to have good questions and whatnot. And they, they'll have them in their mind. Or they'll, they'll write some stuff down and, and walk into the interview. But what they forget to do is actually bring in a way to take notes during the interview. Because as you're having a conversation with someone, it may very much pop up that you something comes to mind. They say something, you're like, oh, I actually have a question based on that. And if you can't ask it right then, you can't make a note of it, it's a lot harder to come back to because you may forget in the course of the interview or whatnot. Take notes so that way you can ensure getting all of your um, questions answered throughout. And then that actually looks um, even better. A lot of studies indicated that those who take notes in interviews uh, appear to be more engaged because they actually are. Um, and it, it is well received by the interviewers. So go in with your questions, but be prepared to take notes um, on whatever pops up so that you can clarify questions or information um, you know, as you're finalizing that interview. Uh, my third question is, and I, I mentioned this earlier, with the resume, you, you want to strike that consistency of excellent tone, that this is who I am, this is what I bring to the table, I've always done well in my career, whatever I've done. Consistency is excellent throughout my career. You want to carry that over to LinkedIn, but you also want to make sure you, you can speak to that in an interview. Um, we have a particular worksheet that our clients fill out for us that helps to capture those accomplishments and measurables. It's helpful for us as we're crafting the content, sure, but I say to clients, hold on to it because it's an interview prep tool. A lot of times in interviews, and of course, you work with clients on this to, to avoid it, but a lot of times in interviews, clients will, will say that what happens is they're asked a question and they go on for two minutes without really making a point. Whereas if you have an interview prep tool like this, and we call it our accomplishment and measurables matrix, if you have a tool like this, it forces you to distill down what'd you do, how'd you do it, what was the outcome. You study that, you're much more prepared to actually answer this is what I did, um, this is the outcome, and, and this is, you know, this is why it was important. And you get that information out there in a much more bridged and effective way, and so it makes a bigger difference. Um, so, again, being prepared to speak to your consistency of excellence, how you've done what you've done, and to do it in a way that's engaging for the individual and not too long-winded. So, there you go. So one thing that came to my mind, Emily, is the whole um, the question piece. And I, I want to tell, share a couple of interviews I've been on. I've been on both sides. I've interviewed and I've had a brief stint as a recruiter, so I've also interviewed candidates. And I think you're mm -hmm. right about the questions. Not many candidates ask questions. And as when when for, I'm just giving you my gut feeling when I meet a when I meet a candidate, they don't ask a question. It just makes me wonder, are they really serious or are they really the best candidate? So um, so speaking about questions, uh, you mentioned go prepared with a list of questions. Uh, can, can, can you Do you have some specific questions that would be required? Maybe can you expand on that? Sure. I mean, I mean, every job is different. Every role is different. Every industry is different. So the questions... 
a lot of them should be specifically tailored to that role, to that industry. But I would say overall, um, questions that you want to ask will be, talk to me about the culture here. What is the culture like? Um, because that's a big indicator as to if people really like it there. Um, so that's a good one to, to ask, as well as talk to me about what, what, you know, what it's like here working on a day-to-day basis. That gets into a little bit different aspect of the culture, but, you know, you can get some different information there. Um, I would also say, talk, tell me your, your opinion on what's going to change in this industry in the next five years. You're, when you ask someone their opinion, not only do they, do they take a lot of pride in the fact that you've done so and, and generally like that, um, but they also really feel very strongly about providing some, some key information for you, showing their expertise, but that's going to give you an indication as to perhaps whether or not it's going to be a strong industry five years down the road. Um, if you are, for example, uh, working for, you know, a, the telephone book industry, and you say, what's this industry going to be like in five years? And, and they say, well, everyone's going to start using telephone books again. And you're looking at them like, I don't really think that's accurate. You know what I mean? Like that, that's a bit of a, of a silly, a silly no, example, that, but the point oh is. Oh, yeah, I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point is, is that you want to, to make sure that you see what someone else is thinking about the industry in a few years. Um, and you're also getting an idea of how that person thinks and works and all of that. And, and that's really smart. Um, I would ask them as well, what projects do they have uh, coming up in the pipeline? Um, as well as ask them about how they work with other teams in the company. Um, and what you're really trying to get out there is, is it a very collaborative company or is it very siloed? Um, and so the way to ask that, you're trying to avoid yes, no questions, right? You're trying to ask them questions to get them to expand on something. Um, but if you ask them essentially, talk to me about how you work with other teams within the company, um, that's a very different question than do you work with other teams in the company, right? Very, very different response you're going to get there. Do ask that question. Generally, what you want to go for um, is hearing that there is collaboration uh, and that the management's very open to that um, because that typically shows more of an open culture. Uh, Not always, but but a lot of times it for sure does. Um, And then... And this is this is a little bit different than what your original question was here, but I always want to make sure that I, I do cover it. Um, clients come to me all the time asking about, Emily, what about the compensation question? How do I handle that? And so if you don't mind, I, I would love to, to speak to the effective tips on that one. Do you mind if I jump into that real quick? It's amazing how our minds are so much in sync, Emily, because I was just going to ask that question. So, yeah, by all means, go ahead. Okay, wonderful. So a lot of times clients will come to me and say, okay, how do I I handle this? I tell them, right, no, absolutely do not bring it up. You do, especially in a first-round interview, you don't want to talk about it right off the bat. Um, Rather, what you want to do is wait for them to ask it. You hope that they don't ask in the initial interview. You really hope that because that's not the appropriate space for it. Um, and, and more and more recruiters are picking up on that. Um, if you are asked, the best thing to do is have a, a either note from you that you've taken in the interview that you want to jump to and say, you know, and, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but have some sort of a topic that you can quickly jump onto. And this is why. 
you're asked that question and your first response should be essentially something along the lines of, I really appreciate that question. Um, as we get further into this process and I learn more about you and you learn more about me and my background, I'm sure we can find something, a number that is commensurate with my experience. Um, at the time, I'd like to learn more about X. So pivot. Get away from that question. Do say, you know, you, let's talk more about this as we get further into the process. Uh, but then immediately jump onto another topic. The majority of the time, it works beautifully because then you're totally redirecting. If you can ask a question that redirects and ask someone their opinion, even stronger, even better, even more likely to get away from the question because they're, they, again, feel valued that you're asking their opinion. It's honestly, it's psychology. So a, a way that that might happen is you say, um, I really appreciate you asking that question. You know, I, I look forward to learning more about the company um, further into this process as I really enjoyed the conversation so far. And I look forward to you learning more about me and what I bring to the table. I was actually really curious. I would love to hear your opinion on, you know, what's going to happen within this industry in the next five to 10 years. So ask someone's opinion, get away from that salary question right then and there, because um, you do want it to come a little bit further in the process if possible. Now, some people will still push back, and I recognize that. So there's a way to handle it. As you are researching that job and that company and that sector, and those three things should be all researched, ahead of time, try to find as much information as you can on compensation so that if you do have to talk about it, you're prepared. So you know what you're hoping to make. Hopefully you're in, a, in an interview where they're somewhere within that range, and that, that's, of course, key. You know, if you're making 60000 and you're shooting for a job where you're going to make 500000 well, first of all, I want to know what job that is. But second of all, probably not going to be very likely for you. Um, but do the research to know that you are shooting for a job that really makes sense for you. Next step, you want to work your way up, but, but be smart about it. Do your research. Go online, glassdoor.com, salary.com. Great resources to learn about what that, what a lot of those roles you'll hear from, you can see information about what the range is expected for that role, as well as that company, as well as the sector overall. The job description itself may have a range, and if it does, please note it, um, because you get to then go directly back to it. If you are pressed in the interview for a number, Try your best to say something along the lines of, I saw in the job description that the range is between, you know, 75 to 90,000, that very much is within the range that, that, um, that I'm looking for in, in my next set would make a lot of sense for me. As we get further into the process, I'm sure we can find a number that is commensurate with my experience. But at this time, I'd really like to learn more about X. Um, so again, still with the pivot, but you are, you are saying, hey, I know what your range is, and I'm fine with it let's keep talking about something else. So answer that question without really answering the question. If you are pressed to give a number and there isn't a range mentioned on the job description, point back to your research and say, you know, I really appreciate this question. I was doing some research to make sure I understood the range that you're looking for. Please clarify if I'm not correct here, but what I found was the range should be between 60 to 80,000. Again, that, that fits very nicely within what I'm looking for. Um, if you have additional information that would be helpful, please share it with me now. 
Otherwise, I'd really like to talk more about the project you mentioned five minutes ago. Can we jump on back on that? Um, so you can sort of see the method that I'm going with here. You're presenting. They're asking you for a number. You're pushing back, providing some information to indicate you've done research, asking for feedback to clarify the range of the specific number, and then immediately jumping to a different topic. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks for clarifying that. And I'm I'm sure in my experience and most of the job seekers, that is one area many individuals do not necessarily prepare for, right? They prepare the resume, they prepare the interviews, they learn about the company. But this is one of the, I, I think it's very crucial, but some uh, an area which is not necessarily uh, paid a lot of attention. So thanks for being uh, giving a comprehensive breakdown. Appreciate that. So we have covered LinkedIn resume interview uh, salary. Uh, so we've covered the whole gamut, let's say from beginning to end of the job search process. Um, mm -hmm. as, as we are coming to a conclusion, mm -hmm. would there be anything that you would like to add? Any last steps for the listeners? Yeah, I would say one of the best things you can do as part of your job search strategy, resume and cover letter, LinkedIn, consistency of excellence, that's a huge thread that should be tying everything together, absolutely. But as you're starting on that job search, rather than just look for job apply, look for job apply, I, I really want people to look for, to take 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, and look for, um, jobs online where you release some of the parameters. It doesn't matter where the job is located or anything like that because what you're doing is a theoretical job search. Um, so you're not necessarily looking for specific roles you're going to apply for. It's in theory. And look for roles that are engaging to you. So ideal for you, that's something that you love to do going forward, but realistic. I call it the ideal and the real. And it makes up the theoretical job search. Um, and the reason that I suggest it is because it helps people when they go through that process. It's a very, very short thing to do, but it really helps to recast their whole job search in a different light because rather than feeling they have to find jobs that they would actually apply for and feeling restricted by that, you you drop that restriction because um, it doesn't really matter. You're not really going to apply for it, but you look for jobs that are ideal for you and realistic for you. And it can help you to identify jobs that you would actually want to do going forward. And then you have a better idea about, oh, that's a job title I didn't think to look for. Now let me see if that's available um, as a job in my target geographic area, in my target sector. And it really helps people to, to get a better idea of what their job search is really going to be and to, uh, to align it a little bit better. The other thing that I would say is, and I mentioned this earlier, get out from behind your computer. It is really, really difficult to make um, headway or gain headway in your job search if you are stuck behind a computer and really not getting out there. So be thoughtful and strategic in your job search. Don't apply for 60 jobs in one day and think your, your, job, your work there is done. No. Rather than that, identify first geographically where you want to be because that, that is obviously important. Um, but identify the sector you want to be in or stay in, the companies within that sector or sectors that you want to target, then look for people that you either already know or can get to know 
um, within those companies, within those sectors, and reach out to those people. Ask for an informational interview. Ask to learn more about that, that company, that, that overall sector. It's not about roles. It's not even at that moment about if they have roles open or your resume or how great your LinkedIn is. It's not about that. It's about you making connections and taking a real demonstrated interest. And that is what actually opens up more pathways to a great job, much more so than, you know, applying for jobs at 2 a.m. in your jammies. You know, actually get out there, be strategic in your job search. And beyond that, go to networking opportunities, identify sector-specific and and company-specific networking opportunities where you can really learn about that place and that company and make connections there. That's also a great thing to do. Um, anywhere anywhere you live, basically, there's going to be an opportunity to network, whether it's um, on, in, in a particular community or a particular sector. Um, find those opportunities. And I, I know it's difficult for some people to, to take that step. People are definitely shy, and I absolutely understand that. Get out there, practice, take a buddy with you if that makes you feel more comfortable. You know, make an effort to speak to two people and on a particular networking uh, opportunity. You don't have to talk to everybody, everybody there. You don't have to be the social butterfly. But do make that effort to get out because it's, it's such a part of today's job search strategy that by not doing it, you actually really limit yourself. Um, so to summarize, theoretical job search, find a few roles that are both ideal for you and realistic for you, really helps to align that job search strategy, um, as well as get out from behind the computer and really be strategic with your job search, identifying uh, sector company people to talk to, as well as go to actual networking opportunities to practice. Practice your elevator pitch. Practice those conversations because that will help you tremendously as you're pursuing uh, different job opportunities. Yeah, Emily, thanks for summarizing that. Thank you very much. Uh, so after listening to this, if uh, the listeners or the audience wanted to learn more about you, uh, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, easiest thing to do, definitely go to the website, refreshyourstep, singularstep.com. Um, email me, emily at refreshyourstep.com. Step.com. That email will go directly to me. I promise I will answer you. Um, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash IN slash Emily Caput, K-A-P-I-T. Uh, I am the only Emily Caput in the world, which is pretty easy to find me that way. Um, but do connect with me there. Um, you can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you know, runs the whole gamut. So, you know, find me on social media as well. Um, and I will be more than happy to, to chat with you, get you connected to one of my team members so we can form a, um, a team of support around you uh, and help you make that great transition that you're looking for. Wonderful. So, Emily, once again, thanks for being a guest on the podcast and sharing your wisdom. Uh, I think we covered the whole gamut of job search from resume to interviews to uh, all the way to negotiations and salary. So thanks for that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Nisar. Yeah, it, it's it's my pleasure as well. What I will also do, I will, um, all the links and social media links and contact, I'll post that as a part of a summary 
uh, at the end of the blog post so the users can, the listeners can uh, get in touch with you through that as well. Um, So thanks for that. Thanks, folks, for listening to this episode of the Career Metis Podcast. As I mentioned, I've written a brief summary with more information to Emily's website. If you liked what you heard, feel free to subscribe to the Career Metis Podcast on iTunes. If you enjoyed the episode and also learned something new, feel free to post a comment or a review. And if you really loved it, definitely go ahead and share the episode on your uh, with your network. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmad, your host for the Career Medicine Podcast. Thank you.